Luke chapter number 9, and uh, I'd like to begin reading at verse number 57. The Word of God says, And it came to pass that as they went in the way, a certain man said unto him, Lord, I will follow thee whithersoever thou goest. Jesus said unto him, Foxes have holes, and birds of the air have, their, have nests, but the Son of Man hath not where to lay his head. And he said unto another, Follow me. But he said, Lord, suffer me first to go and bury my father. Jesus said unto him, Let the dead bury their dead, but go thou and preach the kingdom of God. And another also said, Lord, I will follow thee, but let me first go bid them farewell, which are at home at my house. Jesus said unto him, No man, having put his hand to the plow, and looking back, is fit for the kingdom of God. Thank you. You may be seated. Nick, I'm going to use this one right here, if you don't mind. Let's go to the Lord in a word of prayer. Father, we love you tonight. We thank you for the time you've given us. I pray that you'd speak to hearts tonight through the preaching of your word. Lord, we love you. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. I've titled the message this evening something that is confessedly maybe a little bit humorous in nature, but I believe it will help you to remember the content of the message we're preaching on tonight. I want to take a few moments. I might get some amens from the ladies when I say this. I don't know. But I want to preach on men and their commitment problems. Amen? One of the things we always hear, and it's sort of a cliched thing in society, is you hear women complain about men not having the ability to commit. And uh, you hear people, you know, say that it, it always seems to be ladies waiting on a ring that are making that complaint. I don't know why that is, but that seems to be the common uh, thread throughout society. Men and their commitment problems. They'll say things like men don't know how to commit or don't know what commitment means or don't know how to stay committed. And I would say that I agree with that. I agree that men have a problem with commitment. But I'd go a step further and say that not just men in the sense of men as opposed to women, but I believe mankind has a problem with commitment in general. Now, I promise you, I didn't come tonight on a Sunday night to fuss at the Sunday night crowd about commitment. But, amen. But I did come tonight to challenge you concerning your commitment to the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, in the passage we've read tonight, there are three different men that have trouble committing to following the Lord Jesus Christ. All three of these different men have a problem with commitment, but for all three of them, their problem with commitment is wholly different. Some of them have trouble with it because of this. Some of them have trouble with it because of that. And then a third group has trouble for another reason. But I believe it would sum up the problems that you and I have so often when it comes to committing ourselves to the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, let me say to you tonight that I don't believe when a sinner comes to Christ that they know everything that's coming down the road in their life. Uh, certainly, when I got saved, I didn't understand everything that I'd go through, both the good and the bad. Uh, when I came to the Lord, I, I came to Him because He was Lord. But I can't say that I haven't had moments of rebellion in my life when I have chose to go my own way and do my own thing. I think anybody, if they look at the lives of Christians, can see that that's the truth. Uh, so there's no question when people talk sometimes about a lordship salvation and they say, well, you know, uh, the, you, you have to uh, make your mind up. You're never going to backslide if you want to be saved. Well, I don't find that anywhere in my Bible. I know if I promised the Lord I was never going to backslide again, you could just about guarantee that'd be a lie. Amen. The Lord would already know that. But by the same token, I don't believe we ought to treat the Lord. And I don't believe anybody that comes to Christ treats the Lord in a flippant or temporary manner. When I came to Him, I came to Him so He'd save me eternally. And I came to Him to give my heart and life to Him. Maybe I didn't understand everything that would be, uh, but I did know that I was going to be His for eternity. Amen? And He was going to be mine for eternity. 
I think when we talk about lordship and, and is, you know, does a person have to confess him as Lord or this or that, it is interesting because every time in your Bible that the Bible talks about believing on Jesus, it doesn't say believing on Jesus, it says believe on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, Lord is not what we make Him. Lord is who, who He is. We either confess and realize that and live in the joy of that, or we reject that and miss out on the joy we could be living in if we just realize that He is Lord and He is trustworthy. These men come to the Lord and they want to commit themselves unto Him. There's something about the message and the ministry of the Lord Jesus that has appealed to them, but there's some things they were not aware of. And it's actually interesting because to our knowledge, neither of these three men wound up following the Lord. And when the Lord spoke to him, now, if he had been like the average preacher in today's uh, Christian movement, he would have done everything he could to try to get him to follow. But that's not what he did. Instead, he spoke plainly and truthfully about the reality of what it would mean to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. You know, there are a lot of different kinds of commitments and levels of commitments. Uh, that, you know, there's some folks that are, are not committed at all. Uh, you know, if it fits in with their schedule, they'll be there. If it's easy to do. And let me say this, that if you're only there when it's convenient, that's not commitment. It takes no commitment to be there when it's convenient. Uh, it may take a desire to be there, to be there when it's convenient, but it takes no commitment to be there. Uh, by the very definition, what does commitment mean? It means to apply yourself thoroughly to something. And uh, it re- really, commitment doesn't shine through until we start having to make some choices and sacrifice some things to find ourselves serving God. Some people aren't committed at all. Some people are uh, overly committed to some things. Now, I don't believe you can be overly committed to the Lord, but I I believe there are some things people can be overly committed to. You say, what's an example? Well, when you see these guys on TV and it's 20 degrees and they're at a football game and they got their chest painted up some crazy, uh, you know, image and picture and they're out there screaming their heads off about to catch their death, uh, I'd say that's overcommitment to a cause, wouldn't you? Uh, I enjoy watching football. I, I went to one uh, college football game in my entire life and just about got in a fight with a Florida fan and quit going. Amen? And, uh, and it wasn't my fault. He was a Florida fan. Amen? But, uh, you know, I, I, I'm not, you know, I, I'm not against enjoying those things, but sometimes people can be overly committed. Sometimes people are casually committed to something. I, really, sports probably provides the best illustration of this. You know, uh, you think about there's certain fans that are bandwagon fans. They weren't a fan until that team started winning. And now, all of a sudden, they know every stat and they have every piece of memorabilia. And uh, two years ago, they, they couldn't have named the head coach or the star player. But now, they're the biggest fan ever. They want to get in on it when they're winning. There's what you might call fair-weather fans. You say, well, what is that preacher? Well, that's somebody that they're for them when things are going good. But when things start going bad, they're against them. I believe Knoxville has a lot of fair-weather fans, don't you? Uh, it, it don't take long, man. I mean, we can be winning games that we weren't supposed to win, and then we lose something we was never supposed to win in the first place, and everybody's calling for the coach's head, you know? Uh, we have a lot of fair-weather fans, and then we have fanatic fans as well. But I believe that these three men, the desire and the level of commitment that they wanted was appropriate to the Lord Jesus Christ. But there was something that hindered them. And I want you to notice three types of commitments that I believe we as human beings struggle with when it comes to serving the Lord. Now, look at this first man with me. Look at verse 57. The Bible says, And it came to pass that as they went in the way, a certain man said unto him, Lord, I will follow thee whithersoever thou goest. Now, that's pretty good. 
That's the kind of commitment I believe we ought to give the Lord Jesus. Wherever He leads us, wherever He leads, the old songwriter said, I will follow. But now listen to what happened. Jesus said unto him, verse 58, Foxes have holes, and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man hath not where to lay his head. I'd say the first man that we have here had a disillusioned commitment to the Lord Jesus Christ. You say, Preacher, what do you mean? Well, Matthew's account gives us a little more insight as to who this man was. In fact, in Matthew chapter 8 and verse 19, the Bible tells us that this man was a scribe. Now, when we think of a scribe, we think of somebody that sits in uh, dusty rooms with books that are uh, 400 years old and, uh, you know, they just sit there by themselves and read and, and study and so on. But a scribe in these days, in the days of the Lord Jesus, a scribe would be equivalent to a modern-day lawyer. You have to remember that most matters, especially civil matters, were handled by the Sanhedrin, the religious council made up of Sadducees and Pharisees. Uh, The law books that they went to to find precedent and to find ruling was the Old Testament law. And so a scribe would have been someone that would have read and studied Old Testament law and sought to see how it would apply to a person's case and to argue on their behalf that they might win in some sort of ruling. They were the equivalent of a modern-day lawyer. And just like modern-day lawyers, most of them anyways, uh, and this time a scribe lived a life of comfort and of ease. They tend to be, economically speaking, at the top rung of the ladder. I'd like for you to think for a moment with me about the comfort he had enjoyed in his life. This is a man that's never had to, probably, never had to trust God for the next meal. This is a man that has probably never had to go to bed at night with his stomach roaring. This is a man that has probably never had to wonder where the next bills, the money for the next bill was going to come from. Can I say to you tonight that if you're going to live by faith, then every once in a while God's going to put you in situations that require faith. Let me say that again. I don't feel like anybody, I think about three people got that. So let's, let's try that again. If you're going to live by faith, right, and that's what we're all supposed to be, people of faith, we walk by faith and not by sight, then every once in a while, God might put you in some situations that require faith. You say, what do you mean, preacher? Some situations where you can see no clear way forward, where there seems to be no solution offered, when you must pray and trust God to make a way when there is not a way made already. God's going to put you in some situations that require some faith. This man had probably never been in any of those situations. It probably had a life of relative ease, not only the comfort he enjoyed, but consider that probably those are the conditions he expected. Now, I'll tell you something, and this is especially appropriate in the day of, of social media that we live in today. I know, I know I seem to reference social media a lot. I don't know if the older generation understands how radically transformative social media has been to our society. I, I mean, for a lot of people, all it is is sharing recipes and pictures of cats and stuff. But you have to realize, especially as you sit on this end of things and view, social media has changed the way people think about each other and interact with each other. It has literally become the world through which we experience the world. And in this day of of social media that we live in, I found this to be true. It, It can be a very discouraging thing. You know why? Because you always see the best of everybody's situation. Actually, I'd say this. There's two kinds of people. There's people that you wonder how they even roll out of bed in the morning. Their life is so terrible. And then there's people who it seems like they're made and cut from a different cloth than you and I because they never seem to have a problem. And those two polarizing representations is what you'll see. 
uh, it's very rare. You know, I'm a pastor and a preacher. I guess you know that because you're here now. And, uh, you know, uh, I'll get on, on there and look on Sundays. I'll go through, see if people have been saved and stuff like that and, and uh, check with some of my friends. And it's amazing. Nobody ever gets on Facebook and said, man, we had a terrible service today. Man, half the people was sick and the other half was, was deader than the first half. And, uh, you know, the offering stunk and uh, my preaching was off. I couldn't get no help from nobody. and We didn't have no visitors and half the workers didn't show up. We was having to figure out what to do. Man, what an awful Sunday we have. You'll never see that. No, here's what you see. Guys, get on there. Man, let me tell you something. God sat down on our church like it was sunny. God began to move and it was unreal. Something like I've never seen before. God was moving in hearts and God was doing things and I felt plugged up and hooked up and uh, it was like I was walking six feet across uh, the top of the pews. I mean, God was moving in that place. Half the time you talk to people come to their church and they say, this is a pretty good Sunday. You know? But... Uh, I found that you only see the best of someone's life in that way. Nobody ever has a bad Sunday. And you'll find this to be true in all the walks of life, whatever they're doing. Nobody has a bad day. Nobody experiences anything negative. And oftentimes then that is the experience that we expect. You know, I think the, these men had probably experienced a similar phenomenon with the Lord Jesus. You have to remember, this is fairly early in the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the Lord Jesus, He, he, he had uh, several phases to His ministry. And one of those was a year of popularity in which His, his ministry was growing. And when the people were coming out, you know, like uh, the Bible talks about, they went out for John the Baptist and they closed up the, uh, the shops and went out in the middle of the day. And uh, people were doing that to the Lord Jesus. Everywhere He went, there were multitudes that were following Him. And that was the end thing. And I believe this man looked at what was going on at that moment in the Lord's ministry and he said, if that's ministry, I'll sign up for that. In other words, if it's all mountain box, I'll sign up for that. If it's all easy, I'll sign up for that. And a lot of people, that's where their beginning desire for commitment to the Lord Jesus is. They see people whom God is blessing, and they say, well, I'd sign up to be blessed. They see people whom God is healing, and they say, well, I'd sign up to be healed. They see people whom God is, uh, is building a relationship in their life, giving them friends and family and, and just blessing in marvelous ways. And they say, well, if that's what Christianity is, I'll sign up for that. The reality is, if you live for the Lord, there will be days that are big days. There will be days that are mountaintops. But if you live for the Lord Jesus Christ, you're going to have some days that are valleys too. And you need to understand that serving God, listen, it's not all ease, it's not all comfort. There is coming a day when it will be. Somebody say amen to that. When we will enter into our rest. But right now in this world that we live in, as you walk with the Lord Jesus, there will be good days, there will be bad days. Every day He'll be good. But there will be days that are bad. Amen? Every day He'll be good. But there will be days that are bad and that are difficult. And what this man, notice the cost that he evaded. He was all for it, man, until the Lord said this in verse number 58. Foxes have holes, birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man hath not where to lay his head. This scribe probably couldn't identify with that. He probably had a house he was going home to. And he thought to himself, does that mean that I'm going to have some nights when I'm not even going to have a place to pillow my head? Some nights when I'm, if I'm walking with the Lord Jesus, when I may have to go to bed and, and not have eaten dessert, amen. Uh, the Lord will never leave you hungry, but He might not give you the chocolate cheesecake you're hoping for. And uh, there might be days like that. And He said, I'm not interested in that. This is a disillusioned commitment. It was built upon a, a false reality. 
that he had built up in his own mind. You better be careful about deciding what serving God is going to be like for the Lord. And just read the Word of God and find out from the Word of God what it's going to be like serving the Lord. I'll tell you this, God will always be faithful to you. Always. You understand that for God to be unfaithful to you, it would be the first time in all of eternity that He proved unfaithful. Now, isn't there even a sense of narcissism in that idea that somehow God's going to make an exception? He's been faithful to everybody else, but He's going to let me down. That's nonsense. God's going to be faithful to you. God's going to provide for you. God's going to give you comfort and joy and strength and peace and encouragement because that's what He does. He's God. He loves us. But that doesn't mean there won't be some difficult times. It doesn't mean there won't be some days when you wonder what God's doing and you can't figure out what's going on in your life. You better get ready for it if you're going to serve God because it's not all going to be easy days. I think we see first off a disillusioned commitment. Let me say number two, I believe we see a delayed commitment spoken of. Look at verse number 59. And he said unto another, follow me. But he said, Lord, suffer me first to go and bury my father. Jesus said unto him, let the dead bury their dead, but go thou and preach the kingdom of God. Now, this is very interesting because a lot of people misread what's going on here. They read this passage and they think, boy, Jesus wasn't very compassionate. Here's this poor fellow and his daddy has died and he just wants to go to the funeral and the Lord won't let him. That's not what's going on here. I want you to stop and consider first off the reason for his delay. The Lord said, follow me. The Lord called unto him. And he said, I can't go right now. I have to bury my father. But can you stop and think about this for just a moment with me? This was a a, a responsibility that took precedence over anything else in the life of a Jew. Uh, In this time, they didn't have funeral homes. They didn't necessarily have embalming services. When a person died, it was the responsibility, uh, if if a parent died, of the children to prepare the body. You'll remember that when the Lord Jesus died, uh, the ladies that administered unto Him prepared the body and uh, did the the work that was necessary for it to be buried. And uh, when a person uh, died, it was their children's responsibility to prepare their body. There were only two reasons that a person would be excused from this responsibility. One would be if they had taken a Nazarite. Vow. The book of Numbers talks about this in chapter 6 and verse 6. It says, All the days that he separated himself unto the Lord, he shall come at no dead body. He shall not make himself unclean for his father or for his mother, for his brother or for his sister when they die, because the consecration of God is upon his head. There was a second reason that they might be exempted from this, and that was if they were the high priest. The Bible says in Leviticus 21, 10 and 11, and, and he that is the high priest among his brethren, upon whose head the anointing oil was poured, and that is consecrated to put on the garment, shall not uncover his head nor rend his clothes. Neither shall he go in to any dead body nor defile himself for his father or for his mother. So this man has a responsibility. He is to take care of his father when he dies. But something with me about the reality of this delay. He's got a good reason to not serve the Lord, it seems, until we stop and think about it. Now, I don't know about you. Uh, your parents may still be living. Both of my parents are still living. I don't know. My brother always told me I was adopted, so maybe they're not. I don't know. But, uh, no, I, I, I talk like my mom and I got a temper like my daddy, so I know, I know I'm there. And uh, so... But, uh, you know, something, just, just think, just use your imagination with me for a moment. If your daddy was laying there getting ready to die, or if your daddy had just died, do you think you'd be standing here listening to Jesus? Or would you already be with the body? 
see, the reality is, this man was saying, it's my responsibility to go and prepare for my father for his dying. It's my responsibility to take care of the body. But the truth is, his father was not dead nor died. If he had been, he would have been present with him. So what is this man saying? He's saying, Lord, I can't follow you today because of what might happen tomorrow. I can't follow you today because of what might happen Tomorrow. You know how we say it today? We don't say it in these terms. I don't know if there's anybody that says, Lord, I can't live for you because I've got to bury my father. But here's what I think we do. We say, well, Lord, once I get this bill paid off, then I can start tithing. Lord, once I, once I get my schedule worked around and, and I can have some, then I'm going to start door knocking and visiting. Then I'll start being faithful to church. Lord, once I can get some things worked out around the house and some things done, then I'm going to get back faithful to reading my Bible. Lord, uh, once I can get some things took care of and get a little extra time, then I'm going to start praying. When the truth is, if we were really committed to the Lord, we wouldn't wait for all those things to happen. We'd go ahead and start doing these things already. Listen, you know how you serve the Lord? You make up your mind that you're going to serve the Lord, and then you let everything else fit in and around the schedule. Because the truth is, the devil will always give you enough distractions and enough excuses that you'll never wind up serving God. I thought about a little story. You know, it's amazing when we put things off and we procrastinate how we wind up never doing them. Uh, there was a man one day that was cleaning his attic out with his wife. And as he was going through some boxes, he came across an, an old claims ticket from a shoe repair shop. Now, most of us today, we don't go to shoe repair shops, uh, but this man years ago had. And he, he actually, he looked at the, the ticket, and it showed that this, this repair was over 11 years old. And his wife looked at him and said, well, do you think that the shoes will still be in the shop? He said, surely not. It's been 11 years. There's no way those shoes are going to still be at that shop. And she said, well, you ought to go down there. It's just down the road. You ought to go down and, and check. You never know. So he said, all right, well, I'll do it. So he goes down and he uh, goes into the shoe repair shop. And it's the same man that's worked there for uh, several decades. And he hands him the claims ticket. And he says, uh, you know, I found this in my attic. I'm just curious, are my shoes still here? And the man looks at it. He says, oh. And I don't, I don't know, this is over 11 years old, but I'll go back to the back of the shop and I'll, I'll look for him. And he takes the claim ticket and he goes back and 10 minutes passes and 20 minutes passes and he's still back there. And finally he hollers out. He says, I found them. They're still here. And he walks up to the front. And the guy says, man, I can't believe that you found them. Those shoes are still here. And the clerk says, yeah, it's unbelievable. They'll be ready next Thursday. <laughs> the truth is... If you're willing to put something off till tomorrow, you'll put it off the day after that, the day after that, and the day after that, and the day after that. That fellow never did get around fixing them shoes. And chances are, if you're willing to make excuses, you never will get around to reading your Bible. You never will get around to praying. You never will get around to serving God, to being faithful to church. You have to make a decision now. And that's what the Lord's saying. He says, let the dead go bury their dead. Come and follow me. He wasn't saying, hey, your daddy's dead and I won't wait just a day or two so you can take care of your business. What he's saying is this. You're waiting on a dying man and it's killing your own spiritual life. He's saying, you've got to make your mind up. You either start living or you're already dying. And that's what it is with our spiritual walk. Listen, we're either going to start living for the Lord or we might as well count the rest of our days as dead Amen. and as worthless. What he's saying is there's, there's more important things. Time is, is wasting. And by the way, I would say this, and you know, we, we don't, or we know that this man did not follow the Lord, uh, that he did not go with him, but I bet this, I, you know, uh, the average company will give you bereavement time off. I bet the Lord would have too. 
I bet if his father had died, the Lord, because he never broke any of the Old Testament law, and I don't believe he would have caused anyone else to break any of the Old Testament law, I believe if that man's father had died, that God would have worked out a way for him to get back and take care of that. You know, you'll find that if you'll seek ye first the kingdom of God, then all these things shall be added unto you. Put God first, and God will work everything else out. Don't you realize serving God's the most important thing you can be doing? So if you'll occupy yourself in serving God, then God will take care of all those other things and make sure there's time for them. You just put God first and trust Him. Make Him your priority. And you'll find, you know what you'll find? You'll find you'll have far more time that way than you would the other way. Trying to do it in your own strength. Trying to do it and take care of it yourself. Listen, God cares about the well-being of His servants. And if you'll put Him first, He'll make a way for those other things in your life. You say, well, preacher, what if He doesn't? Then it's something you didn't need in the first place. But if it's something you do need, and sometimes it ain't just needs, it's wants, it's desires that we have. But if one do harm to us, oftentimes the Lord will grant us those things as well. I think we see here a delayed commitment. Let me show you one more and I'm done tonight. Look down at verse number 60. The Bible says, or I'm sorry, verse 61. The Bible says, And another also said, Lord, I will follow thee. But let me first go bid them farewell, which are at home at my house. And Jesus said unto him, No man having put his hand to the plow and looking back, is fit for the kingdom of God. Now, this is an interesting story here. It's interesting for a multitude of reasons. One, it's interesting because it is uh, reflective, and it reminds us about an instance in the Old Testament when someone else asks the same thing. And I'll confess to you that maybe we have to use our imagination, uh, imagination. Maybe we have to assume some things. I know that's dangerous, but maybe we have to assume some things to understand this. Completely. But I want you to notice first off the desire this man had. He said, Lord, I will follow you, but there's something I want to do first. Now, can I just exhort you for a moment and say this? When you put anything as first above the Lord Jesus, it has become an idol in your life. That's the definition of idolatry. To place something before the Lord Jesus. And so, he says, let me first go back and go to my home and bid them farewell that are at my house. Now, let me say that this is not an unreasonable request. In fact, in the Old Testament, Elisha asked this very same thing of Elijah. And guess what? Elijah granted it. Elisha went home. He said goodbye to his family. He slew the, the oxen that he had been plowing with. He gave a sacrifice to the Lord and prepared a meal for Elijah. And then he went home, said goodbye to his family, came back. And he went on. There was a happy ending. And everything went great. And he served the Lord. And he went on to do twice as many miracles as Elijah. Amen. It's not that the, the request is bad in and of itself, but I want you to notice there is a danger within it. The danger is this. What would have happened if that boy had went home and his daddy had said, you can't leave, you have responsibility to you. What if he had went home and his mama began to weep and sob on his shoulder and said, I can't live without you? What would have happened if he went home and his little brother or little sister said, we can't survive without you, you have to help us, you have to watch over us. See, the truth of the matter is this, this was a distracted commitment. He wanted to serve the Lord, but there were some things that he wanted to do first. And I believe the Lord, and here's where we have to use a little bit of our imagination. The only way the Lord would have answered this way is if the Lord, in looking at his heart, had known that it would have been his downfall to go home and to do this. I don't believe the Lord is heartless. On the contrary, I believe the Lord that God is love. Amen. I don't believe the Lord is against the family. The family wouldn't be here if God hadn't instituted the family. 
I don't believe the Lord is against people having uh, a responsibility to their family and, and, and keeping that responsibility. The Lord even rebuked uh, the Jews of that day because they found a way to buy out of their responsibility to their parents. He said you make void the law. So I, I don't think the Lord is against a person having responsibility. But I think He understood that if this man went home, He'd stay home. There are some things in life that simply become distractions from serving God. This man had every intention. This man, he was not wanting to wait forever before he served God. This man, he was not expecting for life to be easy and for him to never have hard times. This man was fully mentally prepared to go to serve the Lord. He was prepared to walk away from everything. But there was a distraction that was keeping him from doing it. I wonder how many of us have one thing that we want to say goodbye to before we'll really go all in and serve the Lord. Maybe it's a habit. Maybe it's a relationship. Maybe it's a pet sin that we have. Maybe it's some commitment to the world that we have. But we have that one thing that we want to say goodbye to first before we go all in to the Lord. We understand that God is unhappy with that aspect of our life. We understand we're not serving the Lord to our fullest potential and capacity. But there's that one thing, and we just want to say goodbye to it one more time. But you know what you'll find? When you let those things get into your life, you never find time to say goodbye to them. Uh, you know why? Right now, right now, if there's a time, I always think about this, man. If there's a time you're going to do business with God, it's probably right now. Now, that's not to say you can't do business with God outside of this church house. And God's everywhere. Uh, if God speaks to your heart, you can kneel down wherever you're at. If you're out there mowing the yard, if you're walking through a grocery store, if you're doing whatever you're doing, if you're doing dishes in the house, you can kneel down, you can pray, you can meet with God. There's no question about it. God is able to meet with you there. But if we don't need the local church, why did God give us the local church? And I found that most of the time, if you won't make the commitment here, now this isn't a universe, but most of the time, if you won't do it here, you probably won't do it there. I think about the invitation time. Here in a few moments, we're going to have an invitation. And there's going to be a piano playing softly, a, a Christian hymn that hopefully will evoke to your mind those images. I'm going to be up here exhorting you to make a move towards the Lord Jesus Christ. We have an entire, I don't know how long this is, what, probably 60 foot or something. We have an entire long area here where you can go down and kneel down before the Lord and have a comfortable place to talk with the Lord. We have people here that have Bibles in their hand that are ready to take a Bible and show you how to be saved, are ready to take a Bible and pray with you and comfort you and all around. You're in a building full of people that want nothing more than to see you and I get closer to God. Chances are, if you won't do it here, you won't do it at all. It's not that you can't, but it's just the reality of it that you probably won't. Everything, and this is my desire in as much as we try to construct and detail the atmosphere of a, of a church house and of a church service, everything is conducive or is designed to be conducive towards somebody doing business with God. And if you won't do it here, you probably won't do it sitting on your recliner at home. If you won't do it here, you probably won't do it in the car ride on the way to the house. It's not to say you can't. But there are some things that are not a matter of what I can and can't do. It's a matter of what I will and what I won't do. You see, this young man, he could have gone home. He could have hugged his mama. He could have hugged his daddy. He could have hugged his siblings. He could have said, I'll be back when I'm able to be back. When we're passing through, I'll be here. I'll make time for you. If you ever need me, I'll make sure that there's assistance there. He could have said, but the Lord has called me to follow Him, and I'm going to follow Him, and I'm going to give my life to Him. He could have done all those things. But the truth is, He wouldn't have. So how do you know that? Because the Lord wouldn't let him go home. That's how you know that. The truth is, God knows your heart. God knows my heart. 
We don't even know our hearts. You hear people say all the time, follow your heart, follow your heart. You need to buy them from the Bible. Uh, your heart will lead you wrong. There's a way that seemeth right unto a man, but the ends thereof are the ways of death. Don't listen to your heart. Listen to the Bible. When your heart's wrong, the Bible will still be right. People say, well, listen to your heart. Well, the truth of the matter is this. God knows your heart. He knows what you will and won't do. He knows what you can and can't do. And so when God, through His providence, provides an opportunity to respond in obedience, take that opportunity. God's given it to you for a reason. He's given it to you on purpose. See, this man, his desire was not that bad, but there was a danger. Well, what, how, what's the remedy? Notice the demand that's given. Look at verse 62. Jesus said unto him, No man having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. It's interesting when you study this phrase, because a lot of times I think people try to make sense out of this verse and make applications for it, where uh, oftentimes I think they miss the spirit of what the Lord's saying. I've heard people talk about that this is just simply talking about serving God and nothing else. And, and it's saying uh, that, you know, if you're going to live for the kingdom of heaven, then you've got to uh, look ahead and keep pressing on for the Lord. But here's the problem. It doesn't say kingdom of heaven. That says kingdom of God. And the kingdom of God relates directly to those that have, through faith, placed themselves into God's kingdom. They've been translated uh, into uh, the kingdom of God's dear Son. The kingdom of heaven is a physical, literal kingdom. Uh, Christ is the king. That kingdom of heaven is in heaven right now. One of these days, that kingdom is going to be on earth. But the kingdom of God relates to everything that God has experiential and literal authority over, has influence over. And the kingdom of God, uh, the Bible says that uh, except you be born again, you shall not see the kingdom of God. Now, the Bible doesn't say that about the kingdom of heaven. You know why? Uh, because during the millennial kingdom, there's going to be people that don't know the Lord uh, that are alive on this earth. But they're going to see the kingdom of heaven. They're going to see the king of heaven because he's seated upon a throne on this earth. And the kingdom of God is a spiritual thing. So when it says the kingdom of God, it means the kingdom of God. It's talking about spiritual things. And I believe it is talking about salvation. But now here's where people get confused. People think what is being said here is that if a person doesn't stay faithful to the Lord, then they lose their salvation. That's not what it says. And the reason we know that is because that would contradict everything else the Bible says. A lot of people say, well, what it means is if a person backslides, it means they were never saved to begin with. Calvinists like that, that idea. Well, oh, well, if a person backslides, they were never saved in the beginning. Well, there's a problem with that. The Bible speaks expressly against that. Things you want to understand in this verse, I think it's found in this word fit. Fit for the kingdom of God. What does it mean to be fit? Now, I will confess to you that I have trouble understanding the definition of the word fit. Amen? Uh, me and the word fit, we have a complicated history. Uh, sometimes, uh, as it relates to being, in, being fit and in shape, we, we have some disagreements about what that means. Sometimes when it relates to fitting into your clothes, me and the word fit, we, we argue a little bit and have some disagreement. The word fit simply means appropriate. Appropriate. You say things like this. If your child's going to school and they're going to be around young people, you might say something like, well, boy, I hope they fit in. hope they fit in. I hope they feel at home. I hope they feel appropriate. You know what the Lord's saying here? He's saying this. You're going to have a hard time in the Christian life. If you spend all your time looking back instead of looking ahead, you're going to have a hard time in the Christian life if you spend all your time looking backwards at things you think you left instead of looking forward at the things that you are gaining. I'm reminded of what the Bible says about Abraham. He looked for a city whose builder and maker was God. 
had foundations not made with hands, whose, whose builder and maker was God. Abraham, he could have spent all his time lamenting over the fact that he left uh, the... the uh, it'll come to me here in a second. He had left his homeland. He could have spent all of his time regretting and lamenting what he had left behind. But instead, he by the eye of faith looked forward to what he was pressing towards and headed towards. He could have spent all of his time going and saying, Man, I left the security, I left the comfort. And if he had done that, he would have never seen God moving and working in his life. The truth is, you better be careful with these distractions. Because every distraction we have, it distracts us to something, but it distracts us from something as well. And when we allow things to get our attention off the Lord Jesus, not only are we focusing on things that oftentimes are of no value, but we're missing out on the very things that have value, which is the working that God is doing in our life, the lessons He's teaching us, the faith that He's growing us in. We're missing out on the very substance of what God is doing. You say, preacher, if I get saved, does that mean that I have to always live for the Lord or I'm going to lose my salvation? No, that's not what it means. You couldn't keep your salvation. You couldn't earn your salvation. You couldn't pay for your salvation. Uh, it's not your salvation. It's the Lord's salvation. He's given it to you. So it wasn't yours to lose in the beginning. But it doesn't mean that if you spend all your time going backwards, you're going to have a tough time. Paul says this. He says, forgetting those things which are behind Pressing forward under those things before. By the way, you know when Paul said that, he's talking about things that by this world standards would be considered bad. He's also talking about things that by this world standards would be considered good. He just got through going through a big laundry list of all the reasons he could have trusted in himself to get to heaven if he had wanted to. You know, he talked about uh, you know, uh, the tribe of Benjamin, Hebrew of Hebrews, circumcised the eighth day, uh, concerning the righteousness which is of the law, the blameless. And, you know, and he, he lists all those things that the world would be proud of. He said, I count them but done that I may win Christ and be found in him, not having my own righteousness, but the righteousness of God, which is by faith in Jesus Christ. And he says, forgetting those things that are behind that's the past. He says, I'm pressing forward into those things. Reaching into those things which are before. He said, I, I'm, not, I'm not hung up on what's in my past. I'm looking forward to what's in my future. That's the way, if you're going to stay committed to the Lord, that's the way you're going to do it. You're going to do it by saying, I'm all in for the Lord Jesus. Whatever's in the past is in the past. Whatever is behind me is behind me. I've left an old life. I've left old works. I've walked away from those things. I know they still haunt me. I know they still trail me. But I'm not going to let my focus be on those. I'm going to look forward unto what God is doing in my life. And I'm going to keep following. And I'm going to keep letting God work and move in my heart and in my life. You see, that's how you're fit for the kingdom of God. Now, I understand there's a sense in which we're made fit by the righteousness of Christ and this and that, but I, I, think, you're trying to, I think you're trying to be theological with something that the Lord needs to be practiced. If you're going to be fit, if you're going to enjoy the Christian life, you're going to do it by forgetting those things that you're behind. Pressing forward. Because let me tell you something, we've got far more in front of us than we have behind us. When we're talking about things to be excited about, we have far more in front of us than we do behind us. We spend a lot of time talking about what the Lord saved us out of, and that's good. We need to rejoice and have the Lord save us out of some things. But don't you realize the Lord saved us unto some things as well? We need to be looking forward unto those things. I wonder if maybe there's a struggle with commitment in your life. I'll tell you this. If there is, you're not the only person in the world. You're not the only person in East Tennessee. You're not the only person in Knoxville. And I'd venture to say you're not the only person in this room that has some struggles sometimes with commitments. And has struggles living for the Lord and truly being all in. You say, preacher, how can I do it? Forget those things which are behind. You say, preacher, I can't be faithful because I've already been unfaithful. Wasn't that silly? We've all been unfaithful to the Lord. 
If that was the metric by which we determined whether we could be faithful, our track record, couldn't none of us ever be faithful to the Lord. So you say, what do I do, preacher? Forget those things which are behind. Reach forward unto those things which are before. Say, preacher, what if I miss some of those things? Well, you're only going to miss them if you're dwelling on them. Don't dwell on them. <laughs> don't dwell on them. Isn't that the admonition concerning Lot's wife? You know, hey, don't look back. There ain't nothing for you there. Look forward. That's where everything is. Maybe tonight you just need to make that decision to say, you know, I know I can't be perfect, and I know that I can't be as good as I wish I could be for the Lord, but if He'll have me, I'll come to Him, and I'll give my life and give my heart to Him. With our heads bowed, with our eyes closed,